John Curley and Sherry Elliker Show. I just don't have all the bell and whistles yet, guys. I'm so sorry. I tried so hard. Big shoes okay. to fill. Big shoes. And little shoes to fill. Is a teeny tiny, uh, is uh, she home nursing? she have her home nursing degree? Did she go to those home <laughs> nursing degrees from that nursing mill down in Florida? Is that where she got her credentials from? Are we doing off John's in good teeny hands? I, well, that's a Jacob question because Jacob is in charge of Teeny when um, she's in the studio. So a responsibility to, I that I I resent. <laughs> uh, when she's when she's not in the studio, Jacob, that's not your wall to, to, to climb, buddy. I get it. That's not your that's not <laughs> yeah, your fire to put you, out, yes. man. You Did know? you send her to John's house and say, "Hey, dude, you know he's your your problem now"? Yeah, she's you know it's more about her refusing to work when John's not here. Uh, so oh, that's, okay. Yeah. Hey, she's got a better agent than we do. What are you going to do? Man? They they are very attached. What are you going to do? They're very very. He she is his work wife, no doubt about <laughs> it. <laughs> well, good on her for taking on such a project, huh? You got to oh, love yeah. it. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Seattle, the homelessness issue that we have in this town, and who's footing the bill. Are communities outside of Seattle helping out and and taking their fair share of the burden? There's a story in today's Seattle Times, Sherry. I'm not sure you had a chance to look at it yet. But it really does break down the number of those experiencing homelessness in the city of Seattle, where they come from, the last place they had an address, and who foots the bill for that responsibility of caring for and hopefully shepherding this community back into working civilization to become an active, working, contributing member of our community. Well, I think that when you look at um, the homeless population, and if you don't have services in the county that you're living in or in the city that you're living in, you are going to find your way to a place that can help you survive. Absolutely. couldn't You couldn't be more spot on to the problem. And so Seattle has really worked very hard to keep those services up and to keep homeless people uh, you know, at least in touch with places to go, shelters. I mean, it's not perfect. There's still many, many people living on the street by choice because they don't necessarily want to leave their community that they've created or their dog or their tent or whatever it is. Right. But at least Seattle is more equipped to handle more people. So that's one of the things that I know John and I have talked about this many times, that when you create a situation that is very... Uh, useful or that is attractive to people that are homeless, it's going to attract more homeless people because the word gets out. Like in Portland, I believe they're trying to pass a, uh, a, a bill that will give everyone under a certain income level a thousand dollars a month. Oh, the guaranteed income action. Yeah. Yeah. So you figure, where do you want to be homeless? Do you want to be homeless where there's no facilities, there's no place for you, there's no bed if you if you wanted to get out of the elements, or you want to go to a place where they're going to give you $1,000, no questions asked. That's where you go. Well, and you're exactly right. And when Seattle has the resources, it draws those seeking those resources here into the city. And the, the gist of this article from the Seattle Times, written by Greg Kim, breaks down what the budget for the homelessness situation is and who contributes. And Seattle... Uh, contributes over $109 million a year to the annual budget to fight homelessness in 2021. Uh, the other 16 cities combined, 
That's like Bellevue, Auburn, Federal Way, Kirkland, Redmond, Kent, Burien, Renton, Isquah, Tequila, Shoreline. I keep going on and on, all the way down to, to Maple Valley, Kimmel, and Bothell, Covington even. All those communities combined contribute just barely more than Seattle contributes by itself. And, and these people that come to Seattle seeking assistance, you know, we are the moth. We are, we are the flame that draws. all. I don't mean to degrade the people I'm trying to find an analogy that makes sense. We're the flame. Everybody comes to the flame. All this, this is, like you said, this is where the resources are. This is where the beds are. The question in the gist of this article is, should these communities be making a larger contribution to help foot the bill for, for the fact that everyone comes to Seattle because that's where the resources are? And it's, it's not just the, the overall number either. Seattle commits 1.7% of its annual budget. So maybe if we looked at it from that perspective, right? What if, what if the communities that vary in size contributed the same percentage of their total budget to help address this homeless situation? That seems like a more equitable situation, right? Well, yes and no, but it's kind of the chicken and the egg, right? Because are more people, are there more homeless people in Seattle and therefore they require more money? Or is it that's, that so much money is being spent on these services that it's attracting more people? Mm. So if you look at the other cities and you require them to make the same investment, they may be saying, no, because we don't want this to be a destination. We don't want people to feel like they can come here and, uh, you know, set up a, a, an encampment or something like that. And hmm, what is point. the, what is their obligation? to the homeless community um, versus what is their obligation to everyone else? Well, if, they've, if these people come from these communities to Seattle, right? Because this is where the resources are. So if, say, say Bellevue, for example, which, points, uh, which contributes just 0.4% of their total budget, about one-fourth of the percentage-wise that Seattle contributes to this budget to help solve this problem. If Bellevue had the resources in their community to help fight homelessness, you know, folks wouldn't come to Seattle. So, you know, is is it better to help contribute to Seattle and help solve the problem here? It's much more economical than than building the resources needed in Bellevue. It's probably a better deal for them to just contribute to the larger. Like when President Trump asked the members of NATO to pay a higher percentage of their GDP to help defend the world. You know, everybody gives Trump grief for how he handled the U.S.'s uh, uh, commitment to NATO, but he did call all these neighboring or these partner countries to the carpet to pay a better fair share of their GDP to help protect the world. Maybe that's what Seattle needs to do to these other communities. I think it's a tough sell. I, I think that it's a logical thing to say that. It's a logical thing to say, why aren't you, I mean, everyone is 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 moving into Seattle, so we're burdened with all of this expense. We have to help these people, and it's just too expensive. You need to kick in your share. But it, then it becomes kind of this, hey, it's your problem. You know, maybe you made it too attractive for people to move there. Not our problem. And Ooh, so... That's a, that's a t- uh, you, you're probably right, but that's a tough love argument to make, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it really is. I, I mean, do you want folks spread all across these 16 cities? Or do you want, or do you want them located where the resources are? I mean, where the beds are, where where treatment centers are, where medical facilities are. I mean, we you know these small communities like Covington, Maple Valley, Bothell. You know they're not, they're they're not the big enough municipalities to have all the resources 
that can help these communities get back on their feet. And that's that's the overall goal, right? To get these folks back on their feet. But are they are they a big enough community to be able to afford to kick in more money when they have tax paying citizens that need services that yeah. need um, and that are paying their fair share? Well, I mean that is that, that is a harsh. It uh, is a fair. Uh, it's a fair way to look at things. It really is. But but when you look at the other cities that are contributing, only only Burien contributes more of a percentage of their total budget, two point two percent. As opposed to Seattle's 1.7. No one else is over one, a federal way, 1.1. But I mean, little towns like Sammamish, right, which has a nice tax base, Shoreline, my community, nice tax base, they're 0.4%, point, you know, 0.4, less than 1%. I mean, I know these are communities with smaller budgets and people and their own problems, but they could contribute at least a, 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 a an equal representation of their overall budget, I think. And maybe I'm just, you know, I'm looking at it from a Kumbaya United Nations perspective, and that never seems to work for anything. Well, it's certainly a, a very charitable way to look at it. But I know that, for instance, in Baltimore, which is a, a, a city that has deteriorated and is poorly managed. You had to pick and, my hometown, but go right ahead. And make I know. Point. I know. <laughs> I live there, too. I hear and you. So, so um, the governor uh, of Maryland, or former governor, Governor Hogan, stopped giving money to Baltimore for certain things, for education, for a lot of things. And people said he hates Baltimore. He doesn't hate Baltimore. He hates the way that it was run. He hates the way that they managed the city and the way that they uh, did things that were not in, in the in people's best interest. And so he stopped. And I have a feeling that there are some other cities out there that believe the way that Seattle is spending their money isn't appropriate and that they spend too much money on certain things or they're too liberal or they're too fill in the blank and they say hey i i'm not contributing to that how do we know that this money is earmarked for that and it won't go for a something else and so i you know i have a feeling there might be some resentment there toward seattle politics in some of these other places uh, uh, you know what you when you're right you're right I mean, you make your point beautifully. Why throw good money well, after bad? If it, well, I mean, <laughs> why throw good money after bad if it's if you're uh, we're giving you money and you're not getting the job done? Like you said, the mayor of, of of Maryland or the governor of Maryland stopped funding a city he felt was just mismanaging the resources and not doing the citizens of that city any good. Yeah, I want to ask you this question. Sure. Okay, and I know I, I just want to shift gears because I really, really, really want your opinion on this. Okay. Sure. All right. So. As you know, you know, the big debate now with 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 Biden running for president is whether or not he can make it until he's you know 86 years old. And so what we're left with is the idea of can Kamala Harris handle the job should something, God forbid, happen to him. So Donna Brazil uh, wrote an an op ed um, in the Washington Post. I'm sorry, the New York Times. And she, you know, defends Kamala Harris and says, of course, that she has been. you know, mischaracterized, that she's been criticized unfairly, mm-hmm. um, that she is much smarter than people give her credit for, that other vice presidents um, have done less than she has, and yet she hasn't been, she hasn't, they haven't okay. had the scrutiny that she had, okay? okay? So uh, I, I don't know how you feel about that. Um, here's something that Donna Brazil said. She said, the close 
and shoes she wears, the role of her spouse, Doug Emhoff, America's first gentle, second gentleman, the way she sometimes laughs, her cooking skills, and staff turnover in her office have all drawn greater attention than her predecessors experienced. So what do you think? I don't know. Are you a fan of Kamala Harris? Can you defend her? Because sure. from my perspective, she... Anybody in the in the public office, when she goes back to talk about when Donna Brazil talks about other vice presidents, um, they it was a different time. It was a different world that we lived in. And vice presidents were not given much responsibility. And, yeah, you can bring up Dan Quayle all you want, but that was in a different era. And so I think Kamala Harris has been given ample opportunity to prove herself. And she has failed over and over again. And I just would love for you to be able to. Have the floor and defend her for people that are wondering or worried. Could this woman handle the job if if something happened to to Joe Biden? Should he get reelected? Mm, great question. First off, I think President Biden is far too old to run again. And I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the guy. Um, and I could we could go round around the block about what's been accomplished in the first two and a half years of the Biden administration. And it's sizable. The amount of accomplishments this administration has put together is sizable. Uh, just this week. Uh, a, a, an agreement was reached with, I think it was Pfizer, to cap the cost of insulin at $35 a month. You know, uh, all the, uh, but we're not talking about Biden. I think, I think Biden has accomplished a, a tremendous amount as president, but I also think the guy, and I've said this before, if he was a carton of milk, he'd be cottage cheese already. He's far beyond his time, and it's not going to get any better. It's not like his uh, his verbal skills or his ability to you know take on the busiest job on the face of the earth is going to get any easier, especially in a world that looks like it's kind of spinning off its axles with regard to international problems and domestic issues and all the things that the challenges to face this country. That being said, we're talking about Kamala Harris. Um, I think the criticism that Vice President Harris has received can be looked at through the lens of misogyny. I think they judge this woman. Like in ways they never judged any other vice president because she's the first female vice president. And I think denying that that's actually a fact is denial. I think you you have to look. Has she had failings? Sure. What are her major failings? And, 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 you know, there there hasn't it hasn't been a great vice presidency, but I don't know that she's flat out dropped the ball on issues. I think that she has, yes, I think she's been under scrutiny, um, uh, perhaps more so than, than other people because of, of the fact that she is a woman and she's a woman of color. And I think that that adds to, um, that people's, you know, they're, they're fine tuning this a little bit. They're really watching her they're and seeing and let, what she's doing. And let's say this real quick. When you talk about how a man is viewed and how a woman is viewed in any business situation, a man is forceful, a man is assertive, a man is confident. A woman is pushy, a woman is, 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 is a big mouth, or the B word, dare I say it, that happens a lot of times in, in the way we just view men and women in any business situation. So I think we'll always look at this vice president through a different lens than any other vice president. But I will, I'll close by saying this. I wish Vice President Harris was the flamethrower, spit-and-nail senator that won her the position. She is a ghost of her former self. If you ever watched Kamala Harris in any Senate hearing, 
She was a no-nonsense prosecutor that, that just called people out on the carpet and did not tolerate any kind of dancing or verbal gymnastics or any other BS. And being in the role of vice president, you have to please everybody all the time. you got to walk on eggshells. You can't afford to be forceful, strong, opinionated. You just can't do it. I, th- I think the office of the vice presidency has defanged Kamala Harris. And if she was a, 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 a half of the aggressive, confident senator she was, she'd be a better vice president. So you look at her more of a victim of her position as I, opposed I, I to think, someone who is not terribly effective. I, yeah, I don't. I think calling her unqualified or even stupid, as she's been called on numerous occasions, is a grossly unfair underestimation of who she is as a person. Oh, she's not. I don't think she's stupid I, at I, all. I, I think I'm, not saying you, you I, I'm not saying yeah. you have, but I have heard her called that many, oh, yeah. many times. So this, you know, she's a black woman. She can't afford to be herself in that role. And I totally think that's true. I believe that. Whether it's just my opinion or not, I believe that. Like she, America's not ready to have an uppity black female vice president without having a genuine issue with that person in that role acting in that way. I think she's been defanged to try to be all things to all people and it has cost her her soul, who she really is as a, as a, as a politician. Here's my here's my prediction. I think what's going to happen now is there's going to be a, a full court press to start to promote and reimagine Kamala Harris mm. um, because so many people have that worry that she could potentially inherit the presidency. So they really need to go to work on fixing the opinion of a lot of people. And I, th- and I think you, you'll you start to see that happening in subtle ways and then some not-so-subtle ways. I, I think Thank you, be, Spike. It would be the smartest move the Democrats have made in quite a while. Welcome back to the John Curley and Sherry Ellicker Show. I'm Spike Neal sitting in for John Curley. Sherry, I would never ask a lady her age. I was raised a gentleman. Good. That's a good plan. So how old do you feel? Can we, is, that, is that a safe way to <laughs> dance can, around that there. one? Yeah, that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I guess the, the question I'm asking you is this. There's a great article in The Atlantic about how age is such a subjective number, but we really are only as old as we feel. People who are much younger than, than they feel tend to live a life that is stressful and overburdened and they're overscheduled, whereas folks who manage their time well, take care of themselves feel 20% younger than their actual numerical age. Yes, this was a study that was done in Denmark. And what they found was if you're over 40, generally you feel, like you said, 20% younger. And we've all had those friends who were, even when they were younger, they were like 25, they seemed like old people, right? I mean, they always sort of had something wrong with them or they were complaining about something or they didn't want to do anything. You know, they were just old beyond their their years yeah, and then wear we have, themselves out yeah yeah and then we have other friends who always had a sense of curiosity or fun or just wanted to do you know fun things and everything so i i think that it, it's pretty universal um and they give some great examples in this article. For instance, when you're talking to someone, let's say you're 50, and you're talking to someone at a party that's 28, you feel like you're really relating to them, right? You feel like, like, oh yeah, man, we're, we we could be best friends. Sure. And yet, they know you're 50, and they know that, and they see it, and then they might make a reference or something alerting you to the fact that, you know, well, maybe when you were in college or something like that, and then you realize, oh, 
I mean, this has happened to me so many times. Yeah. I know that um, my nephew's wife, who's this really fun, she's great, she's probably 33 or something, and we had gone to some family reunion or something, and, and she and I really connected, and I just loved her, and we had so much fun, and we talked about shopping, and we talked about stuff and everything, and then she was driving me back to my hotel, and I said, I just had the best time with you today. Thanks so much for hanging out with me, and she's like, you know, I just so wish you could meet my mom. You guys would be great friends. <gasps> I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, I thought you and I were friends. I yeah, thought that I, I thought, I thought that, that was, I was your friend. Like, I didn't know you needed to push me off on your mom. That's a kick in the calendar, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think we all go through that where we feel like we can, but the, the, you know, the younger people are sort of on to us. So we, we need to make sure we, we don't do that. But I mean, do you have an age in your mind? Don't worry about the, the math on it, the 20%, but what, how how age what age do you feel gosh i probably feel about 38 i really do and that's not for my physical stamina or anything i can't do half the things i used to do yeah. but i still think i look at life with the same sense of wonder i look at opportunities with the same sense of enthusiasm as i did 20 some years ago and it was 20 some years ago that i was that age i'm i just turned 60 and i can't fathom that i'm that old I can't even, it doesn't even, uh, I can't well, can't wrap my head around it. Maybe it's because I'm old. I don't know. But I think it's also the fact that we're living longer as a, as a population. You know, I lost my grandfather when he was in his mid-60s. But when I think about my grandfather, even at the end of his life, when he was close to retirement, he, he, he passed just after he retired. He's one of those poor folks that worked his whole life and never got to enjoy his retirement. But when I think about my grandfather where he had, in his stage, where I am now, we're not the same people. Not even close. I still get to go out and do things and and have fun. And maybe it's because I've got kids that I engage with on a regular basis. And not that we go palling around together, but I like to to know what they're into. We have similar interests a lot of the times. And I think that's kept me young. I think that does make a big difference in your life. When you have younger people around you, and it keeps you relevant. It keeps you able to, you know, you have uh, their perspective in your head somewhere. And so, yeah, I think it, I think it really does uh, make a difference. And plus the fact uh, I'll never be able to retire given my financial situation. I can't afford to feel old. Well, no. And, and, you know, I don't know that retirement is all it's cracked up to be. I mean, I think being able to, to enjoy your life is, is great. But if you've been a worker and a workaholic all your life, giving up your work, is going to be a shock to the system because you need purpose. You need to be able to feel like yeah. what you do matters and that you want to do it every day. And I, I'd say I probably feel about, I don't know, I, I'm so immature sometimes, you know, that I just feel like... Don't like, don't ever lose that. I'm, I'm telling like you. 12. I mean, yeah, okay. I, I, you know, I really do. I mean, I feel really... Not just young, but like a child sometimes. I hate to admit it. That's magic. Um, so I still I, giggle at fart jokes. Oh, you know, hey I mean, Andrew, Andrew, you out there? I, I know, I'm a fan. Yeah, Andrew, come I know. on. Oh no. Uh, yeah, but then listen to this show because let me tell you, you will get, you'll get, your, <laughs> you'll get your fill. <laughs> yeah, but I think there's a lot to this. I really do. I think that there's a, a lot to be said for 
embracing your age, understanding it, and understanding your limitations, yes. but also keeping that that mindset that uh, I'm not that old. I mean, or, or not thinking that 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 you're either that old. It is a really, I think, a really painful enlightenment when you're reminded how old you are. It, it sort of shocks your system, right? Where you you go, oh. I forgot I'm that old. I forgot that I can be a member of AARP now. I get the free flyers in the mail with the offers of free, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I know it cracks know. you up. I know. Jacob, so, you, you work with, I'm sorry, Sherry, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, go ahead. Jacob, bring Jacob into this, you, the youngster. You, you are literally a generation behind most of the folks that you work with. That's, yeah. Uh, de- yeah most of the hosts I work with, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Does, does it make you feel older? Because you travel in this professional arena and you carry yourself very well. Um, I will say um, I, I have friends that are constantly dating their coworkers, and that always, for some reason that just sounds really surreal to You're me. You're in a Jane Fonda movie. You try that around here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, um, that is that for some reason never never. Uh, yeah, I guess I just there's a generation gap, and that was never something yeah. that I really considered. Um, but no, does it make me feel older? Uh, I would. I'm. I just turned thirty a couple weeks ago. Um, and I feel exactly 30. So I, which okay. makes sense. I think in this, in this piece, they basically back that up. That yeah. That's the age where you kind of, you feel your age, the disconnect starts to yeah. come later. Yeah. Uh, I will, right. I will say this at the end of this article, they asked an 83 year old how she feels about age. And she said, at 53, you worry about being compared to younger people at 83. You enjoy the moment and time travel here and there in the past eight decades. You don't feel you don't fret about something old because hey, you really are old. You and your friends make old jokes. You have more fun than you did at fifty three. In some ways, you know. Wait, you'll see. So this is someone who's eighty three and is very optimistic about where she's at at that stage of her life. I take great comfort in that. I really do. I think medical advances. We're gonna we can live as long as we want. Well, as long as we can afford to. In our screwed up medical system. The folks who have a little resources behind them will be able to stay as young as they or live as long as they want. Yeah, it's it's a tricky thing because you you want to be able to feel like as you get into those where there's no denying that you're an old person, right? right I right. mean, there's just no denying it that that you embrace that that you don't you're not trying so hard to be younger or be something that you're not that that's that you're at peace with that and at peace with. The inevitable, which is you're going to die, and you know you have limited time, and yeah. so you you make the most of it. I mean, I hope for myself that I will I will be able to get to that point. You got tons. You're not even on the back nine yet. <laughs> right. I'm looking at the clubhouse, and my scorecard looks a little ugly. It's all good. Uh, we were going to come back. Let's check traffic first. We're going to come back and read uh, your text and the letter of the day. It's the John Curley and Sherry Ellicker Show. I'm Spike O'Neill, sitting over John Curley. everybody welcome back to the john curly sherry ellica show john curly is at home getting better getting better fast that's why they brought me in because nothing makes you get over being sick faster than me sitting in your chair i am the cure for covid people john of course we, we really do wish you the very best and hope you're back as quickly as you possibly can be yeah hope you feel I'm better a little bit worried he was going to come on the show and do a covid test but uh was maybe a little too under the weather to do that well, so hopefully he'll be feeling that, better i soon. hope so too but that means he's sleeping which is what he needs 
Nothing gets you better faster than getting some, letting your body heal itself. True. Very true. Uh, and the letters, it's time to uh, go. So we, do, do I need to hit this, Jacob? Can you hit that, the, uh, the mailman yeah, song? Andrew, oh. Yeah, Andrew. Hey, Andrew, see, I don't know. I'm learning. I'm the mailman. As you can see, I'm the mailman. Don't nobody mess with me. I'm the mailman. And we start uh, right there I'm with the John out sick. Uh, from Doug in Mount Vernon. Wellness check for John Curley. Sorry, but Dougie doesn't want to be bothered. Ouch. <laughs> That's his... He's referencing his neighbor, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, John's. Uh, not, oh. I thought this guy Doug was saying, "I'm not. I don't care." Yeah, that's uh, oh. just that, unlucky. Um, oh, yes, unlucky. A, a Doug speaking of another Doug. <laughs> exactly. Okay, he's at all the meetings. Okay. Uh, Lori in the 206 says, "I've had the COVID vaccine and all the boosters. The last booster was the Omicron in September. I still ended up getting COVID last month. Extreme sore throat for two days, slight fever and headaches. Then it was gone. Just sniffles." I truly believe the vaccine boosters gave me the immunity to fight it off so quickly. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better, Lori. And the uh, the 206, you guys are taking a poll, correct? John Curley, the man who never practiced a single COVID safety measure, put me down for 100 bucks on positive. Ouch. Uh, Helmets425 says, there is a learning curve to those scooters. You're right. They can be unforgiving if that front wheel goes anywhere but straight. Uh, Bruce and Paul says, do you really want to put a helmet on that's been worn by 10 other strangers? I, too, think they should be wearing helmets, but they should provide their own helmets. What a great point, Bruce. As a, as yeah. a resident germaphobe, I got to yeah. tell you, yeah, I didn't think of that, but now you're right. Uh, Aaron in the 360, ha-ha, Spike, I know. Let's chain people's heads to rental bikes. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I said. Oh, my God, he's right. That's exactly what I said. Uh, from the 253, if we're going to make roads safer for cyclists, they need to have license plates and pay tabs like those of us that drive. Hmm. Bare minimum Monday, Ryan from Tacoma said, yeah, but you can't really climb the ladder nowadays like you used to be able to. Mm, that's a lot of truth in that. Uh, Yanchi in the 206, uh, I'm for this, this uh, bare minimum Monday. I try to make it easy on myself. And do what I need to do on Mondays to set myself up for a productive week. Okay. Jeff in the 206 says, my question, my question is, where are they getting the money to experience life if they're not working? Good question. Okay. And, and never Trump or Publicrat. This is not me. I'm not texting the show. This is another person who feels that way. There's almost never promotions at the company you start at. I had to leave a job I loved for 15 years because five people who would have to quit or die before I ever would be considered for promotion. Turns out I love my new job even more and got the promotion. The only thing you get for working hard is other people's work that are slacking on minimum Monday and no promotion Tuesday. Uh, Chris Rock, a TW in Seattle, said, watch this yesterday. It was okay. Same show he did here in Seattle last December when he was here under the Chappelle umbrella. It's okay. Chris Rock laid it fairly at the feet of Will and Jada, too. Mm-hmm. So- and now it is time for the letter. Yeah, uh, I'm glad she's here. Um, Should I read this, Sherry? Yes, yes. This is from Fox Island G in the 253. Oh, look at that. A poet. (laughs) Chris Rock would have been funnier if he threw in a bit about getting slapped by Sherry versus Will Smith. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Wowzers. That's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. Didn't write no more. Didn't write no more. So now, if I understand correctly, we're going to try to redo the exact uh, hour we did earlier. Yes, in its that's entirety. Right. In its entirety. And Spike, Oof. thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you, Sherry and, and John. Uh, Jacob, thank you. Andrew, thank you. Nate, uh, John, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. Like you haven't suffered enough. Please get better soon.